Hello and welcome to The Way to Freight, the podcast series where we explore the intricate yet powerful connections between the world of freight and commodity markets. And today we're continuing the topic of uh, the decarbonization in the shipping industry. And we're going to talk about the exciting world of the marine engines and their place on the path of the decarbonization in shipping. And for that, I have a very special guest today. This handsome gentleman across from me is Alexander Feind, who works for MAN Energy Solutions. Alex, could you uh, just give a quick intro on what MAN Energy does and what are you doing there? Hi, Alex. Uh, thanks for inviting me and uh, grateful to be here. Um, MAN Energy Solutions is a subsidiary of Volkswagen, um, but unlike our colleagues, we don't deal with cars and trucks. We deal with ships and power plants. Uh, so that means we're a technology provider and solutions provider for the shipping industry uh, and uh, also um, yeah, the, the power business, um, uh, which means engines, propulsion, uh, propellers, uh, equipment such as those. My personal role is I'm responsible for the external business development activities in the four-stroke marine business, which is the medium and high-speed mm -hmm. engines and the more coastal applications. So I'm dealing with, I would say, future developments, trends around uh, decarbonization, defossilization and alternative fuels. Sounds good. And I think that's uh, the main topic which we're going to talk about today. But just to put it in perspective, again, you mentioned Volkswagen and car engines. Could you just for the... Um, understanding the scale of, of, the, of the matter. How big actually uh, is the ma marine engine, let's say for a VLCC tanker, comparing to a car engine? Okay, uh, well, um, the product portfolio that we have on offer, uh, I would say ranges from a van size mm. to actually a, a multi-story building. Yeah. Uh, so uh, two-stroke engines are uh, so big that you would fit into a cylinder. That sounds like a terrible execution to me. <laughs> um, so, so it's a lot of steel that needs to be put into uh, a vessel to actually propel those large uh, vessels on the ocean. Of course. Uh, and I assume they're quite fuel hungry. Well, obviously efficient, I'm sure. But uh, generally, if you this big, you, you probably consume loads of fuel. And that's uh, a big part of our conversation here is what fuels are going to take the shipping industry into the you know bright green future. And I know you've been into many industry events recently. And obviously, as part of your role, talking to a bunch of uh, your clients and people uh, uh, who produce the marine fuels as well. Do you feel like there is a critical mass accumulating for any specific green fuel solution at this point to meet 2030-2050 goals? Or are people still deciding what to do and there is still uncertainty regarding uh, where it's going to go? Um, the short answer is no. The more elaborate answer of a politician would be it depends. <laughs> um, uh, it really depends a bit on um, the geography and the trade you're on, uh, or your vessel is on, um, the supply availability of certain fuels, um, how often you are able to bunker, whether it's going to be in the same port or whether you're on a tramp trade where you just rotate your ports. Um, um, so uh, we, as, a, as, a, as an engine maker or a technology provider, we are fuel agnostic, so we try to offer off options uh, and technologies for all the fuels that are, out, that are out there and we actually see demand and interest into all fuels that are out there. So specifically, when we look 
beyond gas oil and fuel oil, methane, methanol, ammonia and hydrogen in the three different production pathways or colors that are usually mm. being discussed, gray, blue and green. Right. But you, I guess you still have to prioritize depending on uh, where most of the interest uh, lies right now. And like you said, there's uh, different, maybe different interest in two-stroke and four-stroke engines. So in in, in simple way, uh, if we're talking two-stroke, I guess we're talking big vessels carrying commodities like uh, tank, tankers, dry bulkers and, and so on. So if we talk about that market segment, is there, a, let's say, a specifically high demand for one particular solution where you know, uh, when you know that's where you need to focus uh, more of your efforts? Um, so I am not in sales, yeah, mm. but um, what I've heard is that there is still a, quite a high demand for conventional fuels. Mm. Um, uh, also, we've just signed uh, a large deal for methanol uh, engines that we already have in place on the two-stroke side with a Danish uh, shipping company that actually made quite a bit of uh, media waves um, because it sets a bit of, a, of an example with many companies to follow uh, in a me too first follower type of approach. That sounds like Musk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, uh, but when it comes to new developments, stuff that is not there on the two-stroke side, then I would say the big thing or the big news is the ammonia engine, which is due to be ready uh, or to be built into the first vessel in, in the end of 2024. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, and then afterwards it will be made ready for a wider public uh, as a as a normal part of our offer package. Okay, so ammonia is, a, is, is an interesting solution here. So um, in recent conversations that we've had with ship owners as well, a lot of them believe that ammonia, while as exciting as it is, uh, as a solution or a big solution on a large scale for the industry is 10, 15 years away, actually, even though the engine is coming in 2024. So with that in mind, I'm I was wondering whether there is, you know, this big interest in terms of uh, actually pre-ordering engines or do you, f do you find that people are already considering buying this particular engine time or preparing their vessels to say run on ammonia in 2025-2026? Um, so I think this, uh, this question hints at the whole question of ammonia ready, LNG ready, hydro hydrogen ready, so yeah. there are certain concepts of not actually building or developing the real thing, but just preparing it for whatever the real thing will be yes. in the future. Um, so um, I would say uh, we, uh, we are willing and able to offer certain retrofit uh, options, but not for all fuel types towards all other fuel types. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So um, we have a bit of a matrix uh, that we can share and discuss, but we actually need to have a discussion around what fuels can be retrofitted to what, uh, by when. So for example, we need to gather some experience on the two, so if I just stick to two stroke for now, uh, on the ammonia engine before we actually offer a retrofit package. Yeah, so that takes a year mm -hmm. uh, until we can do that. Um, um, obviously there are certain questions um, uh, that need to be answered, such as um, uh, what materials can be used, uh, corrosion is a topic, mm -hmm. Uh, what pressure, um, because certain fuels with a lower energy content just need more fuel at the same uh, amount of time. Um, uh, some are cryogenic, some are toxic, so additional safety uh, measures need to be put in place. Um, so not everything can be used 
in a in the next system yeah because the tank might be changed yeah? i mean you're not uh, uh, you're not going to use a liquefied hydrogen f uh, for diesel yeah now because it would be just way too expensive because you mentioned retrofitting a lot is uh, do you find that there's going to be more demand or potentially more demand coming for retrofitting with new solutions rather than new building in, uh, in this, well, I mentioned retrofitting because I felt that was part of uh, yeah. part of the necessary answer. Um, the majority of the fleet is in existence, yeah. So, yeah. And if we want to reach any kind of IMO or EU targets, we also need to look at the existing fleet. Yeah? We cannot just wait for uh, new vessels being built uh, and old ones being scrapped. We actually need to tackle the existing fleet as well. Yeah. So. Uh, I mentioned, you know, new build technology for, for new projects, uh, which is interesting, relevant, and makes things much easier because you plan and design already yeah. for the future right now. But obviously, we also look, need to look at what's already there, uh, and we need to answer, have answers for this as well. And um, uh, this is why we have uh, an after-sales department, which we call PrimeServe, and a new build division, actually two different, uh, two engineering teams, even on the four-stroke side. Um, uh, so it's a very different process. Well, well, I wouldn't say it's a different process, but it's um, obviously uh, uh, economically, technically, it makes a difference whether you're starting from scratch, mm -hmm. designing a totally new engine, uh, totally new vessel with a engine, potentially batteries might come into play there, uh, maybe fuel cells might come into play. Yeah. Yeah, so there are just more options now than there were 20 years back. Of course. And when retrofitting uh, uh, like the vessel, obviously, uh, doesn't mean that you, I assume you have to go into dry dock uh, for, for this, right? And this is a process which will take weeks, months? Uh, depending a bit on w what you're aiming for. So what I have heard is that the, the methanol retrofit is, is, is roughly a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, but again, you know, we have so many vessel types out there. Uh, the complexity is probably also different. Uh, also, what you're going to do, I mean, are you going to build an air lubrication as well? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So then it's just a bit more than just the engine. Um, so uh, do you need to, I don't know, swap tanks because you want to build in a cryogenic uh, hydrogen tank? Yeah, yeah then it gets a bit more complicated. So, so it really depends on the details. Of course. Obviously, it's not just about the engines, but all the other infrastructure on board yeah. as well. But the, I guess the key part here is that uh, conver converting it takes time. Obviously, it takes money, and or, uh, it also takes the vessels out of the business uh, for this period of time when they are uh, busy, busy doing that. So a lot of the opinions we heard from ship owners in the market is like, when is going to be the time when uh, is there going to be time when everyone rushes into dry dock and tries to do uh, a certain solution and so far there is no <laughs> there is no answer on where where that might happen um, i think wait and see is not an option so i mean we've uh, we've discussed retrofits uh, towards totally new fuels but i mean if we take it a, a notch uh, below that or smaller and discuss exi edi and cii which also requires certain efficiency efficiency changes um, in our case we're actually talking about engine power limitations shaft power limitations that also requires uh, um, uh, staff from us for example if we are the ones mm -hmm. uh, doing it and we don't have uh, if we look at 50,000 vessels globally um, or 100,000 depending on really uh, which ones are, uh, are affected um, 
we don't have 50,000 uh, crew doing that till the end of the year. Um, so there is a there is a bit of a, um, a need to actually talk to the technology providers, to the yards, to do things. So it will not work to wait until, I don't know, uh, December 30th and then just wake up to say, yeah, I, I now got two days uh, to actually be compliant. Um, so that is something uh, where we need to have a discussion uh, yeah. because uh, certain changes actually take time. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not working in a yard, so I cannot really comment on yard slots. Um, yeah. But obviously, the number of yards is limited, but the, the, the number of vessels is far yeah. far bigger than that. So, so in other words, the message is, if you want to do something, you have to start probably doing it right right now rather than wait till 2027, uh, or to space it out. Yeah, yeah, depending on what you want to do. So uh, my, my plea would, if you if we look discussing EXI, EDI, mm. CII, then we need to do it now. Uh, if, uh, I don't know, if you, uh, if, if you want to retrofit your vessel, obviously it depends a bit on um, your approach. Is your vessel sailing in European waters and will be affected by, mm -hmm. for example, the few EU maritime proposal? Then it's a different discussion uh, compared to, to other world regions. Um, you can start blending in bio or synthetic versions of a certain fuel, yeah, mm -hmm. biodiesel or bio-LNG, for example, if you have a gas engine, a dual fuel engine. Um, and will be compliant with certain regulatory requirements there as well. Um, mm -hmm. If we're talking new builds, yeah, then obviously um, uh, we need to have an even deeper discussion because we will be most likely looking at different technologies uh, to the ones 20 years back uh, to be compliant in 20, 25 years. Fair enough. But in this, uh, in this demand for, let's say, uh, retrofits or the new solutions and so on, uh, yes, do you find that the deciding factor for clients is the fuel price or is it the, like increasingly more uh, green agenda or does it, does it differ? Because uh, the reason I'm asking this is if you just look at the marine fuel prices, uh, they're very, very, very different if you look at what's diesel, what's ammonia, what's hydrogen uh, and so on. And considering how much fuel again is consumed, this is a massive, incredibly big cost and a massive decision for ship owners. So I'm wondering how big these days, as far as you're concerned, uh, this, uh, the decision of what they're going to do is driven by the cost or by the green agenda? That's a tough one. So in the end, uh, uh, they say money, money talks. Yeah? So yeah. I guess in the end, what it boils down to is price. But I think slightly different for for different uh, ship owners. Yeah, there are certain ship owners that can pass on prices more easily. I would say the ones with passengers on board, uh, uh, cruise and ferry. Um, then compared, uh, and maybe some container lines with have which have charters that have end consumers like that produce technology products or, or clothing or so on. Um, then others that just ship uh, barkers that ship a ton of iron ore that mm. uh, is just more detached from the end consumer um, uh, but obviously uh, regulation and financing plays a huge role as well yeah i mean if you um, if you're basically prohibited from entering a certain area without paying penalties because you use yeah. a certain fuel a type or type of fuel um, then that will, uh, will affect your operations or it will affect your operational expenditures because you just will pay, have to pay penalties and levies as is being discussed in the European Union right now. Yeah? Um, 
for example, uh, green methanol, um, sorry, grey methanol in 2025, with the current regulation that we see, the fuel EU maritime, mm -hmm. uh, will force you to pay a penalty. So you need to switch to blue or grey methanol. Mm -hmm. So even if it's a new fuel, you need to choose the right one. Yeah. And uh, the next aspect uh, that ship owners need to be aware of is uh, financing. I mean, we have the EU taxonomy, we have the um, Poseidon principles. Now, now we also have the Poseidon principles for insurance. Sounds simple. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. No, quite, quite frankly, it's not an easy task, and that's the reason why everybody. And I know it sounds boring. Uh, um, advocates for partnerships and open discussions. Yeah. I mean, we need to have an early discussion to see what is doable and what is not doable, yeah. Um, but uh, honestly, uh, um, uh, being a ship owner is, uh, is, getting is getting more and more complicated when taking decisions on what, cho what fuel to choose in the future because it's so diverse, the picture. Of course, but do you find like at this point, if you have a dual-fueled engine, let's say uh, right now it's obviously LNG or any other type of engine that uh, ship owners use the greener part of that or usually the cheaper part of, uh, of it? Um, there is no black and white answer to that. Um, so we have customers that tell us uh, or they ask for a methanol dual fuel engine mm -hmm. with the intention of never using the methanol, right. yeah? um, just so they can say they can in theory use it. They will go for the fuel that is more accommodating. Um, but we also have companies that have shareholders or that have a sustainability agenda, which really drives uh, low carbon, low emission uh, fuels. And they intrinsically want to go towards a certain type of fuel. Yeah? So it's the, 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 the picture of fuels is very diverse and the picture of customers and ship oh, owners oh. is very diverse. So there is no black and white answer to that. Um, the only thing is uh, that I can say is we are really open to offer everything, so we are agnostic, mm -hmm. and our role is to work with them and to offer the means to actually fulfill the strategy that they have and the idea that they have. And after that, the choice is there, is what what they actually want to pursue once the obviously the engine is there. Yeah. Make, makes sense. I think I, th I think we're running out of time, but thank you very much, Alex, for uh, sharing your views here, and hope we'll have a part two of this, talking about uh, more developments uh, in, in a year or two. Uh, nice having you here. And thanks, everyone, for listening, and please join us on the next Weight of Freight episode. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.